0: To the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your hosts, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton.
1: We're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 121. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, uh, I know we are moving into the office pretty soon. I believe you're there today. Um, I I am here. I am
0: here. It's not set up. Who, let me think here, on Friday when we were lugging the stuff around, who was here to do that? You were here, I'm pretty sure, weren't you, Josh? Yeah. And we had yeah, two underage laborers, day laborers that we brought in to help as well, um, a three-year-old and an 11-year-old. But who, there was someone that was missing um, on Friday. Who was? It's
1: the, yep. one, the one typically at fault for okay. all shortcomings at the podcast. Okay. Nate was
0: Nate. Ah Nate was missing. That's right. I, I knew someone was missing. So we are here in the War Room Media Studios. Hopefully, if Nate shows up this week, um, you know, gets it done. Now, I, I can say, in Nate's defense, and in, in Nate's defense, um, I decided to do something a little bit stupid this week and started judo. And so because of that, I woke up at three, three thirty Wednesday morning when Nate was supposed to come down to work on the office and basically couldn't move my arms. Um it was it was pretty brutal. It was so bad that by the time Friday came around, Josh was driving around Miss Daisy, aka Ryan Ray, for about half the day because I couldn't hold my arms up without being in pain to move the steering wheel. It was uh that was for no Thursday. Thursday, I guess it was. So Nate gets a half reprieve because I don't know how to describe my physical body, Josh, if you haven't seen me in public. I guess if you think about a barrel of oil, you could put your body inside of a barrel of oil. We could put the lid on there. You would fit fine. We could put Nate inside of a barrel of oil. You could put my legs in. But I think at a certain spot around the belly button, is that called circumference? It would hit the <laughs> lid and I'd just kind of be stuck there on top, kind of like a bobblehead. So if that helps get the listeners why maybe someone of my size or, or physique shouldn't be doing judo, then, um, then that's it. But so yeah so hopefully we will be back in action uh or in action at the new studios you can kind of see some of the stuff up here uh next week um josh also though last week it got a little heated on the podcast i could think i think you would say it got a little, little testy a little bit of frustration boiled over and um i just want to say i'm not sorry for that i am not sorry for that I, I, it was a little bit therapeutic, actually. I felt better, minus couldn't move my arms. It felt pretty good last week. And we got a five-star review out of that. We got a five-star review, um, from DC Texan. Informative and entertaining updates on oil and gas, oil and natural gas industry. Texas is a global leader in oil and natural gas. And these guys know their stuff. Fun. Listen. Thank you, DC Texan, for the five-star. But Josh, there's more. We got another one-star review. Now, there's been a consistent pattern with the one-star reviews on this show. What have they been? Do you know what the pattern is?
1: We speak about environmental issues, and a one-star review typically will follow. Not many, you
0: know, just every now and then. But Um, but what's the other thing that's consistent with a one-star review?
1: No written content. No written content.
0: No written content. So, not all, not only do we go out and we challenge these people as not being people with spines and backbones and things like that, they go out and then show it by not actually putting written content down to back up their fallacious one star claim. Nate, I know we were talking all fun this morning and you had a hypothetical reason for why we might have a, another one star rating this week. What was that?
2: Uh, well, we talked about Julian Castro uh, last week, Ryan. And aside from the obvious um, possible family connection with the uh, dictator of Cuba, which might explain uh, <laughs> any possible one-star reviews, um, it's also possible since we were talking about Democrats and they've, they've got kind of a sneaky way of doing politics here in Texas, that uh, we, got, um, we got somebody on Fiverr who got offered a little bit of money and maybe some immigration amnesty to leave us a one-star review and who then was not willing to, uh, to leave written content because obviously five bucks only goes so far. Um, <laughs> so that might be a possibility. Now, be a- I'm, not, I'm not saying that the, the Castro political family put out a hit on us, obviously. What I am saying is that I would not be surprised if that was the case. Ah. Well, I mean, it's obvious
0: that President Trump listened to this show. The Castro family listened to this show. And for all of your enraged... Immigration emails, please send them to Nate at Hanson at dot 2com <laughs> Let him deal with that because Johnson and I are touching that issue, so we'll let Nate handle. And so, don't give us a one star review for the for that. <laughs> we'll, we'll let we'll let Nate take all the the uh, immigration reform on You a can separate, find on me on
2: Nate Talks to ICE every Wednesday at one p.m.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother, Nate, you're going to another one star review just for that comment alone. I don't know why we let you on the show. Also, Nate, we had in... Um, now, and this, this should be more of a pattern here. We had some listeners send in some swag. So
2: what did we get? All right. Yes, Ryan. We got, a, uh, we got this lovely uh, Founders Blue Landman Life koozie. And um, actually, because it's Founders Blue Edition, um, I was thinking that I, it would be very appropriate for me to go over to Dallas and get a Founders beer to drink with my koozie, but of course, then I realized that R-squared company policy does not allow me to consume alcohol while on the job. So I am drinking my my uh, squirt soda, Hecho um, on Mexico, so, there you go. Well, that, I'm, don't try I'm, I'm to redeem yourself. I'm my immigration comments. Don't, no, don't, I'm, don't try to redeem yourself. It's just too late. I'm a man of the people. Um, <laughs> but it's, a, it's a great little koozie and very, very, very attractive. And if you want to get one of these for yourself, I don't believe you can get it in this, this blue edition here, but there should be more coming out soon. And you can get those at uh, www.landmanlife.com.
0: Yep, we will link to them on the show notes, and it's at Landman Life on Twitter, I believe, as well. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Somehow, Josh, Nate's the new guy, and he's getting all the swag. I don't know, not really sure how that happened, but um, keep seeing the swag, uh, not to Nate, preferably though. That's that's just. Um that's disappointing. So we got a couple where's, guests coming on.
1: Where's my, to the, my yeah. koozie?
0: I don't have a koozie. I don't have a... I'm, I'm, I got a water burger cup. That's because I'm a true Texas guy. So.
2: Well, see, if Ryan had been able to move his arms on Wednesday, I would have brought you guys koozies.
0: And with that, we're hitting the mute button on Nate and proceeding on with the show. So, Josh, um, where we got today, buddy?
1: Well, as uh, all of our listeners know, um, there was a, a drone attack... Uh, on the on the saudi aramco facility and it's been creating quite a bit of hoopla in the news we got uh some trump tweets about the petroleum reserves we have oil prices starting to jump something that we haven't seen in quite some time and just a overall kind of a a bit of unrest in the market so uh we haven't seen the market respond so sharply uh in a long time ryan so it's been it's been uh, it's been an interesting week, to say the least. We're just watching the news. Um, and I know that you've probably had some conversations with Ellen about this. So uh, what in, in general, I mean I wonder what the issues are gonna are gonna come to with Iran? Is you know, is America gonna take an aggressive stance there? or um, there's a lot of questions that that really could change the, the the landscape of the industry for the next you know 12 months or so.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, I think I put something on LinkedIn this morning about it. There's an article about how much the uh, percentage-wise price has jumped in this short amount of time. And we've talked about this, Josh, that there's really been nothing that would move the market. This is the first thing we've seen, especially since the, the, the downturn, that has really impacted the market. So, I'm looking at this from a couple of standpoints. A, I mean, look at WTI as a time of we're recording this. WTI is at 6046 so it's not $100 a barrel, it's not $80 a barrel, it's sixty forty-six. We have to keep that in perspective, that the price did jump a lot, but it's only up $5.61 at the time of this recording, which is only 60 bucks. So we're not even above the $70, $75 threshold. Um, so that's the first thing to consider. It did jump a lot, but it's not that. Um, two, I think longer term, uh, and this could be short, short term, theoretically, but let's say there's a tanker that is taken down uh, three days, five days, seven days from now what kind of reaction will the market have at that point Um, because when these things happen what happens is you analyze the news from a different perspective you start really breaking down the inventory reports you start really breaking down the choke points you you start really getting nervous about all these things that before everything was kind of running smoothly but now you're looking at it going okay well uh wait hold on if this happens and this happens and that creates that fear and the panic and the price starts to rise so i think You know, if we don't have anything catastrophic happening, and of course we're not, you know, we never wish that. So if nothing catastrophic happens for those six months, 12 months, you know, it probably won't see these jumps again if, if the trend continues but if the iranians um in three days five days seven days whatever it is take down a tanker like they did it was a month ago whatever it is now um i think that's really going to be interesting to see how the market reacts is it an overreaction is it a you know a very much a sharp uptick in prices kind of like we used to see way back in the day um you know, I think that's kind of the narrative to follow here, is, is what does this do to prices? And then you couple that with the inventory reports that come out on Wednesday... Those really haven't been market movers, and I think probably a week by week inventory report shouldn't be a market mover. But you wonder if you see a big draw from the storage this week, um, coupled with this news, if you will see the market maybe have a slight overreaction or um, inflated reaction or uptick of reaction, whatever you want to call that, uh, because it is it is a little bit nervous right now. What's going on?
1: Yeah, and just looking at some of the things that came out, um, that came out from some of Trump's tweets. It kind of gives you an idea of uh, different perspectives, but he mentioned that he has already authorized the release of oil from Strategic Petroleum Reserve. So that's just an authorization uh, to be determined amount. He's trying to keep the markets well supplied. Also, Ryan, what I think's Pretty interesting is just the this, the nature of his stance here. He says that Saudi Arabia oil supply was attacked. There's reason to believe that we know the culprit and are locked and loaded, depending on verification. So there is a verification going on, but it seems that um, that there's a, a at least an inclination to act fast, and that that I believe would create quite a bit of unrest so that's going to be certain something certainly interesting to to watch and you know i wonder you know with the when stuff like this happens a lot of people go out and start gassing up like crazy so that that definitely sometimes has a short-term effect on the market yeah and and if you're on twitter you can follow
0: um uh let's see if i can find it here patrick i can't i can't I can't think about it. It's Gas Buddy though. Who it is? Gas Buddy. They kind of follow. Not yeah. It's at Gas Buddy Guy on Twitter. You can follow him, and he said last night um, that basically you shouldn't see this. I haven't I haven't checked in this morning, but last night you couldn't. You shouldn't really see the um, the gas demand. You know the gas the gas supply. You know de- be depleted. So don't expect that. Except for I think it was in the Great Lakes was the area that he had mentioned. That um, that you might see it, and that was he had some reasons for that. So yeah, I, yeah, I don't think you're seeing it like that. And I, I think you know, as we go through this process, you know, what what is going to happen? It's interesting, just from a geopolitical standpoint. You know, the U.S. government made it pretty clear what two months ago, whatever it was, that if Iran, you know, threatens us or our allies or our allies' allies, that we'd go to war. The U.S. government is claiming this is Iran. Iran's obviously denying that. So I think that's gonna be interesting to see is what happens on that stage because it was just a week ago two weeks ago josh that uh you know iran showed up and i can't remember what meeting it was kind of surprised everyone so i thought maybe there was some progress being made there but um not exactly sure at this point to see uh w- w- what's going to happen with with all this
1: well Ron, uh we we talked a little bit uh with castro and some of the democratic uh, positions on um uh, oil and tracking and uh, and we have some stuff we're going to look at with uh, some of the offshore things. But there was an article that's sort of related, uh, kind of a political thing. Rick Perry said the United States leads on producing energy and reducing emissions. And there was a question put out. Uh, the title of the article is: Is he right uh, about that? About that claim? So and hold so, on. Let's 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 break this down, Josh. What what is exactly the claim? Does so everyone's clear? Uh, the U.S. leads on producing energy, number one, okay. first half, and then they lead on reducing emissions.
0: Okay, two. so so we're, we we leave on making something, producing something, and reducing something at the same time. Essentially, at the same time.
1: Yeah. Okay. and he's he's saying that we're we're number one on both regards. Right. And so uh, there is this. The question came out. Well, the first part they said obviously that is true. The second part they say is a half truth or. Um, in some parts, they question whether it's actually true. And so, what they go in to say basically is, though we do we have reduced emissions the most, and we have been the most effective for the last say 15 years, that percentage-wise, there are other countries that are reducing emissions by a higher percentage than we are. Okay. And so, so hold on.
0: Let's 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 we're, we're simpletons on the show, Josh. We're Texas folk. Let's uh, we're not big Washington insiders like Politifact is or where they're from. Tell me that again, so I'm, I'm kind of slow here. So what you're saying is, is that according to them, for the past 5, 10, and 15 years, essentially, the United States of America has reduced total carbon dioxide emissions more than any other nation. So overall, I'm guessing volume is what they mean, right? Yes. So if yes. you had a 1,000 carbon emissions, you're down to 500 carbon emissions. You've reduced 500 carbon emissions, and that would be more than anyone else. Yep. However... There are another uh, number of nations that have reduced a higher percentage of carbon emissions over that same period. So that was a 50% reduction, which was pretty drastic, but theoretically other nations could be reducing 75%. And so the percentages are higher for these other nations. But see, Josh, I'm a simpleton, so I need you to help me out here. How do we know which is larger, whether that Find whether the total is larger or the percentage is larger because it to me it sounds like it's kind of hard to figure that out from this information.
1: Well, yeah, you, there's no way to know, and and in, in that regard, and there's also something else that they're that they're slightly overlooking. If we reduced our emissions by 50 percent three years ago, we can't reduce them by 50 percent again, realistically. So, our percentage well, of decrease you can,
0: but not from the first number,
1: right? Yeah, that's
3: that, yeah, you can keep reducing 50 percent,
0: but not from the first number. Yeah, not from the first number. Because if you had a hundred, you it for fifty, you reduce fifty for there would be twenty-five. But you, yeah, can't, reduce from, you can't reduce from hundred twice, fifty percent. Yeah,
1: and the well, more you can't three times. <laughs> yeah, and the more efficient you become at it, the smaller the margins become. So if if someone say has reduced their carbon emissions by ninety percent, they're only going to be able to reduce very small margins because they become so efficient. Whereas some of these other countries that are that are just beginning on this on this emission reduction. Um, their percentages could also be a lot higher. But th- that's the thing. This this article doesn't say anything about that. All it, sh- all it says is that, well, the United States is leading in carbon emission reduction. They acknowledge that at the end of the article. But they're saying there are other countries that are reducing it by a higher percentage. Well,
0: this goes back to an article. I think we covered this article on the show, I think, Josh, if not, correct right me if I'm wrong, there was an article a while back that talked about Pioneer had the, the largest job cuts in DFW. Did we talk about that in this show? Mm hmm. Okay. If you remember correctly, it was the same type of deal. It was like, well, percentage wise, there was more, it was a larger percentage decrease of Pioneer's overall staff, but the actual employee number wasn't nearly as close as United or American because they have a lot more people. And so, you know, you can use one thing my dad taught me is very wise. If you're trying to make examples, one thing you can do is exaggerate it. And so, if we had, just to use, um, you know, parts per million, we'll say, if we had a billion parts per million um, carbon dioxide or however they're measuring that stuff, we had a billion of those. And we knocked off 300 million. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, 300 million. So we have 700 million now, right? Um, that is a huge number, whereas some other nation might have 100 and knocked off 25, um, maybe knocked off, um, uh, 34% or whatever. But the, but the, the actual impact is negligible because we knocked off so much more. And when you read these, these guys are self-proclaimed smart people. Um, because they say PolitiFact is a fact-checking project to help you sort out a fact from fiction in politics. truth on meter ratings are determined by a panel of three editors, all of whom aren't very smart. I may have added that in myself. The burden of proof is on the speaker and PolitiFact rates statements based upon the information known at the time the statement's made. The problem is, people, the problem is that you give us statements that we don't have actually information to back it up because you talk about percentages and, and total volumes. Now, maybe these people... Maybe they're not very smart or maybe they are very smart and they're just not very honest. I don't know. I don't really care. But to me, this is this is what's it's, – it's not helpful. Because we if you read that, you don't really know.
1: Yep. Uh, and as the other part that I mentioned earlier, Ryan, House Democrats ready to vote on offshore drilling bans. Offshore drilling bans. So there is a supposed consensus that the U.S. coastline – is a precious area that they want to maintain. And so being that they're too valuable for our economy and environment, we want to make sure that we don't jeopardize that by offshore spilling, uh, which they say is going to happen with drilling. So um, there is a move right now uh, to sponsor a bill that basically bans offshore drilling that is anywhere near the coastlines on the on the pacific uh florida coastline or the gulf coastline so uh that is what the the move is for and uh yeah i i, I look at an article like this Ron and it just makes me wonder they don't want us drilling in, in on land they don't want us drilling on the coastline uh it's just a it's a basically they're trying to force us out into the middle of the ocean in order to drill i, I guess
0: uh nate can you hop on here Real quick. Uh, Last week, I got excited a little bit over the Democrats and their crazy policies. Um, Once again, Josh is bringing up those policies. I feel like he's trying to to stir me up here. um, Do you get that vibe as well?
2: Yeah, actually, it feels like uh, Josh is trying to provoke another explosion.
0: I I think so. I'll simply say, go see the article about the Saudi um, Aramco um, bombing this weekend, and then we'll talk about banning offshore from there.
1: All right. Well, um, for, for the roundup, Ryan, we only have uh, we only have one article that I wanted to mention. This was an article that came out from Reuters, and it basically says that hedge funds cautious on oil and they're waiting for the economy. So, uh, about a year and a half ago, hedge funds was a pretty big deal. Um, right now, the hedge funds are much more cautious than they were a year and a half ago. So, um, what what that what I think that means is uh, funding for different businesses right now is going to be difficult to attain for these EMP companies right now. Um, so, I think we're going to see we're going to see the market kind of play out for a little while before some of these investors start coming in and um, these private equity backed companies come in and start making moves.
0: It, maybe, my Josh. Take. Maybe. No, I mean, I think, you know, you can look at some of the hedge fund stuff. The problem with the hedge funds is, I bet you if you get on Reuters today, this article is a little bit old. If you get on Reuters today, the hedge fund guys will be singing a different tune um, other than that. Before we bring on our guest, though, Josh, we, we, we haven't gotten to this, and we need to take a take a moment to recognize the, the death of a legend. T. Boone Pickens passed away, I guess it was last Wednesday. I got a few texts from people on September 11th, ironically enough. Um, you know, T. Boone is a, called the Oracle of old and a pioneer and just kind of, um, you know, kind of a living, le- well, I guess it's bad towards the a, a legend in the industry and was a living legend and someone that many people um, in the industry looked up to and aspired to be. And as Nate pointed out on um, Twitter, he, he publicly owned Drake one time, so he had that as well. I think Drake said something about making the first million was the tough and t Boone came back and said the first million <laughs> the first billion really the hardest or something like that and kind of slam dunked on drake so not only was he the only guess savant he um he owned drake the one time they had an encounter that i know of so um i saw so, that Ryan.
1: i saw that tweet yeah
0: sad to hear about mr pickens um, passing away and um i don't know if when i guess they probably already had the funeral if not it'd be probably today or tomorrow so anyways so if you, i'm sure everyone heard that news but just wanted to pass our condolences on to the pickens family and um friends and loved ones and all the folks involved
1: hey ron uh, um, there's a, a quote he's got and i think we should make the mantra of our of our show he said my iq is the gas price <laughs> three dollars i'm a genius a dollar fifty i'm a moron <laughs>
0: i like that i like that that's uh that's good so
1: all right today we have a special guest mike michelson he's an engineer on the completion side with universal pressure pumping a division of patterson uti mike i appreciate you coming on the show today man glad to have you on
3: thank you very much Uh, i've been looking forward to talking with you all well
1: mike as you know in the industry um you know one of the things that that we've seen that's been developing is there's excess natural gas uh, especially in in the permian what to do with it it's costing folks a lot of money we had uh, a little talk about exxon and they had to pay i believe it was like 146 million that they didn't have to pay it but that would have been the cost to move the gas and so there were some talks uh, also that the flaring was being done Uh, too nonchalantly and if there's pipeline available that they may be forced to to transport it rather than to flare it so there's a huge question right now about what to do with uh, the natural the natural gas excess natural gas in the permian so what are some things that that could be done with natural gas from your perspective that that may could you know have some cost savings and and increased efficiencies Mm -hmm.
3: Well, obviously, for us, you know, working in the hydraulic fracturing space, um, using that is a good way to use the natural gas can bring a lot of cost savings for us. I mean, diesel savings can be quite significant when we're operating a, uh, a frack fleet on dual fuel rather than on straight diesel. You know, in addition to that, we have the opportunity to use a locally produced fuel, something that's underneath our feet which helps to reduce the truck traffic to and from location and through the towns and communities we work and live in. Um, So,
0: one of the questions I had is, um, I heard some discussion the other day about this topic, and they were saying that, you know, it could be, depending on the price of diesel fuel, would depend on how much you're saving, but they talked about the cleaning of the natural gas, and that that that, that's sometimes a cost that's... um, not necessarily balanced out into this. Have you guys found that, the, that that's an issue for you guys, you're not having to clean it, or it's, it's, it's not a negligible cost where you can kind of work around that issue?
3: It can be uh, an added cost to the operation, but it's still well offset by the cost of the natural gas or the value of the gas itself, especially if we're in a negative range where an operator's having to pay to get rid of it or basically no margins on it whatsoever. In some parts of the country, like Northeastern Pennsylvania, the gas is dry coming out of the ground and we really don't have to do anything to it. But in the Utica and the Permian Basin and elsewhere, that's not the case and the gas does need to be conditioned so that it can be used in uh, these types of operations.
0: And on that also, um, just, just from a general standpoint, how do y'all measure that? And, uh, you know, to get the, the, you know, the secrets, secret sauce or whatever, but, you know, um, to produce the energy required to complete these jobs, is the natural gas a more efficient, ty- uh, to fuel to use that term, uh, power generation source compared to diesel? Is it e- uh, equitable with diesel? Um, kind of walk us through, um, at a high level again, just kind of how you think about that, how it works and some, some of the insights that maybe the listeners haven't considered when you're considering using natural gas over diesel.
3: Well, in our case, in dual fuel operations, is we're not using natural gas over diesel. We're using it in conjunction with diesel. So what we're doing is in our engines, we're burning a combination of diesel fuel and natural gas. And the reason for that is a diesel engine can't operate solely on natural gas. But um, so the efficiencies on the engines themselves remain basically unchanged. Um, it's not quite as efficient as pure diesel, but we get a significant cost savings out of that event. So we need to bring gas back to location. Um, we inject it in the intake airstream of the engines and run our engines, quite frankly, the same as we normally do. And I don't know uh, if that's quite how we're getting after.
0: Right, right, right. No, no, no. It, it's interesting because some of the discussions I've heard have been more around the, the single use, like only using natural gas only, uh, but you guys seem to kind of find the sweet spot there and say, hey, we're going to meet you in the middle, use the diesel and the natural gas, and that might be kind of a better recipe than just going either exclusively diesel or exclusively natural gas.
3: We like the the flexibility of the dual fuel operations because we can take advantage of the natural gas that's being produced locally by by the service provider that we're working with. And then if for some reason there's an interruption in natural gas or natural gas isn't available for that job, we couldn't get it back to the job site. We can still operate and do the job for the customers as they need it to be done. It gives us, in our opinion, a good advantage over a straight natural gas operation. Has
0: there been any... Um push back from the industry side of this going, you know, um, you know, sometimes the industry is, is slow to adopt new technology. Um, is this something the industry is excited about because you have negative gas prices? Or is this something that the industry is kinda like, Oh man, we've used diesel for so long, it's so effective, we kinda we kinda feel comfortable with it. What's been the response to the larger industry when you kind of uh I mean it's not a new idea as far as like groundbreaking today, but it is a newer concept, if you will?
3: Yeah, I mean universal has been doing dual fuel operations since 2013 um and it's changed a lot over time here in the northeast dual fuel operations are pretty well accepted by a a fair part of our customer base Um, we have five dual fuel spreads and we tend to keep them all working quite well but it's a pretty new phenomenon for the most part down in the permian and southwest texas and whatnot few years ago there was very little interest but today with the topics you mentioned earlier with flaring and the cost of getting rid of gas it's a lot of interest in the industry and i think we're going to see a lot of it here in the not too distant future
1: well mike um what are some examples of of some of the savings that can that we could see through diesel through a a dual fuel i mean as far as numbers goes i know these these frack pumps are probably going to be more expensive um would what, what Just uh, g- give me an example of um, of ways that that increased cost uh, up front could possibly, due to the situation with gas, turn, turn
3: a, a pretty good profit for some of these companies. Well, to take and get a decent substitution, we have a couple different means available to us. You know, in the hydraulic fracturing world today, most all of the fleets in the world are... Tier two specifically, and the conversion kits available for those engines enable a, a net substitution of about 40 to 55 percent of the total diesel consumed. So, in that type of situation, um, if we're going through and we're doing 200 stages for a customer on a job, and we burn say 1,500 gallons of diesel fuel per stage, I mean that's 300,000 gallons of fuel, and you know diesel fuels 265. That's almost eight hundred thousand dollars in uh, in diesel, but if we can get a fifty percent substitution rate across the duty cycle, you know that's one hundred and fifty thousand gallons saved, and you know almost four hundred thousand dollars in just twenty odd days. That's a significant savings available. Um, as far as how do we pay for that added capital on the equipment? There's a myriad of ways to do it, and over the years we've approached it differently. With different customers, and that's really not a topic that you know I can speak to on a broad basis. But we've always managed to work that out so that each party benefits.
0: One of the things in the article uh, that you sent over, we'll make sure Nate links to this article from Heart Energy into the show notes. It says with diesel prices hovering at three forty-five a gallon, uh, this equates to more than twenty-five point one million to uh, to customers. Um, It it would seem that since you guys are kind of using the the the, the, uh, the dual feature here. Um, that, you know, if diesel prices rise, can you then, and and natural gas prices... stay low can you kind of play with the the, the ratio of diesel to natural gas so if, if if one of the commodities prices swings substantially higher or lower can you uh, tweak that to kind of increase your savings some or is it kind of a, a rigid balance to where you you know 50 50 or 75 25 or, or whatever it is that um, you're kind of stuck you can save money but the savings are kind of built into the ratio of each uh, commodity that you're going to use
3: yes. It's really, we're, we're stuck with two things, one, the, pr- the current pricing of the commodities and two, what the engines will perform on. We do not have the ability to change the substitution rates to modify them as we may wish to. What we attempt to do is to maximize the substitution of natural gas for diesel so that we can reduce that overall diesel cost for ourselves and or our customer because eventually it all gets passed on in one form or another.
0: Um, Last question for me, Josh may have one more, but last question for me is, you know, you've been doing this since 2012. You said, what's maybe been the biggest thing that surprised you about using these these um, dual operated engines, uh, fuel engines here? Uh, Or um, is it is it that um, it lasts longer, uh, more efficient, maybe some kind of thing that that you guys didn't expect. And you found out through this process, oh, wow, they really do this better. than We thought they were. Um, What has been maybe the biggest thing that's kind of caught you off guard from
3: that? I think the biggest part was we started off with substitution rates of below 50% and as we worked with the OEMs, they were able to tweak their systems and we were able to get to where we are today with, you know, peak substitutions on the engines themselves at 70% and the new tier four engines available from Caterpillar Pillar with their dual fuel system, they call it DGB, is 85%. And that's just an incredible amount of uh, diesel savings when you can go from burning 100 gallons a stage to you know less than 30 it's just phenomenal um and the other thing though is that the engines don't really last longer as long as we do good maintenance it stays the same Um, but what we have learned overall this time is dual fuel is not a plug-and-play environment you can't just go out and buy the hardware you have to develop good strong processes and safety regimens in place to just make sure everybody's safe on location and have a good working relationship with, in our case, our customers, so that uh, everybody's aware of the issues and potential hazards on location. And we take all the necessary steps up front to mitigate that. And um, some customers in the past, you know, or potential customers haven't wanted to put that extra effort in, but those that have have really been able to realize the savings and we continue to do work for those folks. I think that's the biggest thing.
1: Right, last question for you, Mike. Um, I've been curious with some of the dual fuel um, and and opportunities to utilize natural gas. Is this something that we see uh, bigger companies, Exxon's, Oxy's, that they're using? Uh, you know, you, you mentioned some of the tier two, tier four frac spreads. Uh, is this something that is an option for bigger companies that have more capital on hand and can really? Uh, Build in some higher efficiencies, or do you also see smaller PE-backed companies uh, that are utilizing some of some of this technology uh, just as frequently? Uh, so, it, you, if you understand my question, is this mainly a big company thing where they're using these dual fuels, or do you see this kind of across the board, maybe at different levels, but um, from you know much smaller companies?
3: We've seen it both ways. Um, Kind of surprisingly, a lot of the smaller companies were the ones that tended to embrace it first because they were looking for the savings sooner and wanted to take advantage of it a little quicker. And I think it had a bigger impact for them initially. But there's certainly been a lot of increased interest with the bigger EMPs in the market, and they certainly have the capital to help um, companies like ourselves offset the cost of uh, upfitting and outfitting more equipment to service them.
0: Okay, and we will link to, as we mentioned, this article in Heart Energy that you authored on behalf of Universal Pressure Pumping, um, so folks can kind of read there for themselves. Uh, Mike, where where can people find you at or your company, or where do you want us to push them towards if they have more questions about y'all's uh, dual fuel hydra- hydraulic uh, fracturing operations?
3: Sure. Just go to patenergy.com, that's P-A-T-E-N-E-R-G-Y.com, and they can get a hold of our sales folks and contact us and we'd be glad to come talk to them about our operations.
0: Okay. We will link to patenergy.com in the show notes. And thank you so much for your time today. We really enjoyed having you on.
3: Thank you very much. I appreciate the experience and the opportunity.
0: So Josh, as you know, we we talked about a story with Patterson UTI, uh, tragically a, a, I don't know, a year or two years ago. It's been a while now with some folks lost their lives in, yeah, you know, we always try to be as transparent, and obviously Mike wasn't the right guy to talk about that, and he didn't feel comfortable talking about that, and um, and didn't want to steer that conversation in the way. So for the listeners that want to know what's going on with that, you can probably Google or, or find some stuff. But that, that wasn't um, that wasn't going to be on the agenda for today. So um, in case that was wondering in your eyes, we want to talk about the dual fuel hydraulic fracturing, fracking, frat fracking. Good night. I can't speak. Um, <laughs> the dual fuel stuff, we'll call it, because I can't use big words today. Uh, that was interesting though, man. That's a, uh, you know, I, I've heard about the, you know, the, the, the natural gas and, 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 it's, this is kind of maybe the happy medium where people can find the balance of um, diesel versus natural gas, because I, I've heard some of the complaints, I say complaints, some of the skepticism around the natural gas only, but this kind of maybe hits the sweet spot there.
1: Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting. You yeah, the, the, one of the questions is going to be the thing you mentioned, Ryan, about the he can't change the levels of substitutions. That's going to be the thing to watch because with certain changes in the market, it may be hard to modify that. Right. You can't modify it, I don't think. Yeah. And, and I
0: wonder, you know, is, is this say diesel is $4 a gallon just to make a, a crazy number up? And natural gas, let's see here, I can tell you, is at, um, right now, natural gas is... Not, yeah, two, 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 uh, 66. Well, let's say natural gas goes up to $4 and diesel's at $4. You know, um, I, I wonder if part of the, the thought process is, is that you're saving the diesel cost because natural gas is cheap. So when natural gas gets high, do you really, are you really offsetting stuff? And so it's gonna be interesting to see because, um, they're gonna have to balance out the, um, you know, I, I use the term ratio and he, he's, I think he called it something different. He's a smart engineer guy. I'm just a, a dumb podcast guy. But he, but you know, I'm curious to see if they can tweak that over time and if price changes shifts the balance from where right now they got their, their whatever the ratio is. And then all of a sudden, if natural gas gets higher, you know, and, and diesel for whatever reason drops, if you would shift that or if it'd be the same. So interesting to follow. And, um, you know, a, a, as the market shifts, because I, there, there's, there's a sentiment now and, it's been around for a while i'm not sure if i'm going to buy into it yet but i keep hearing more and more about natural gas prices are going up natural gas prices are going up and not anything big publicly but some folks offline said man natural gas it stays coming and i i haven't seen it i'm not buying it yet but um but there's a lot of smart people who are thinking it and so you know you wonder how something like that would impact the e or the or the dual fuel here
1: yeah well you know just to just to clarify too, I mean, while while the gas is low, it seems like just the perfect option. So, um, I mean, it, it seems like you said it really strikes a good balance. Well, and yeah. Just, so the
0: the question and the comments I heard was about the um, just the natural gas only. They had to build a new engine or turbine, and they had to, they had to design all kinds of new things. And so when you go design that stuff, the cost for that is not you know that that there's cost for that that's not free right so you had to go build these new things and these new things cost money um and so if you say well the diesel fuel for instance costs 50 million let's just use a big crazy number 50 million um and the natural gas that we use costs you know 10 million Well, you go that's a savings of 40 million but as we learned earlier on the show. Math it is always straightforward. And so you say, well, how much does it cost to build out the engines and the, and the and everything involved with this new technology? Um, how much, you know, what, how much does that cost? Well, if that cost is 35 million, um, well then now you're saving five million instead of saving 40 million. Right. And so those are the types of things. And obviously these guys are, you know, they're, they're pretty smart and trying to make money doing it. So, um, you know, they, um, they'll get it figured out one way or another, but it's just, that is kind of an interesting, um, uh, Debate to see, and you know, um, while we're sitting here waiting, we got Sergio Chapa coming on. Can we talk bad about him before he comes on? We talk bad about him every week. We hadn't done it. Should we wait till he comes on, or just talk bad about him behind his back before he comes on?
1: I've to just tear him up right now. <laughs> <tear him> to... <laughs> oh no, oh, he's logging
0: late. into the phone. I can see him right there. He's getting ready. We'll he can give us a thumbs up when he's ready to come on. But we were just getting ready to make fun of Sergio Chapa. Um, and I, I, give me a thumbs up if you're ready to come on, Sergio. If, if yeah, he's he's ready. Um, Sergio Chapa. He, what, what did we call you? The enemy of the show last week. Our super villain. Um, he does work for a small publication out of Houston. The various I think. Villains, the villains, yeah, <laughs> <one>. <laughs> yeah, super um, villain, perhaps. super villain, something like that. A man who hates cabot oil and gas with a passion unknown to mankind. Um and <laughs> don't for forget the
4: Barnett Shell
0: Barnett Shell, Barnett Shell. And what is the name? What's the blog that you work for? Houston Chronicle <laughs> some some
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, it's a small niche publication.
0: <laughs> called the Houston Chronicle, Sergio Chapo, of course. We haven't gotten Josh, now hold on. We we had this earlier. Nate's been getting our swag Sergio so maybe this happened we haven't gotten our thank you gift basket for getting you that job at the Chronicle maybe Nate got it but we haven't gotten anything uh, um, I got a
2: package of some kind but it had wires coming out of it and it was ticking, <laughs> ticking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: okay never mind you can send those packages to Nate please oh Sergio it's good to have you on man how you doing sir
4: doing great uh real busy today covering the aftermath of the uh, Saudi Arabia attacks but uh but you know, uh, we'll see we'll, we'll see what happens there. It's very interesting um, turn of events that we're definitely keeping a close eye on.
0: Which one of our stories from today's show will you be making into your own tomorrow?
4: <laughs> so <laughs> many to choose from, right?
0: I don't know. I don't uh, know. <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, last week when of your as stories. As long as
4: President pe- Trump retweets it, I think we're a,
0: well, there you go. Last week, one of your stories caught a little bit of fire on our show, but we won't. We, we yeah, we're not
4: going to talk about that one today. We're not going to talk about, about, about that one, one today. It's already been talked about enough. <laughs>
0: <sighs> Sadly, it has. Okay, let's get into it. Uh, another story you did rip from us, though, is the Permian Space Race satellites become latest tool for competitive shell play... Um I'm pretty sure you got this idea from us but maybe not that's okay. If you just give us like a credit at the end it would be it would be it'd be great like credit to Text Guest Podcast for everything I do. Well but,
4: I, I think that's one of those 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 incidents where great minds think alike. You see so it's already <laughs> working on that story. It's a diligent reporter here. You were, near and the and you, were Chronicle.
0: you were really excited about this. We had dinner a month ago roughly and you had you hadn't released a story you were telling about though you are really excited so what kind of tipped you off of the story and what's the response been maybe what are some of the things you learned going through this story about all this you know we, t- we say hey oil and gas is tech and sexy man we got a satellite spot on folks what's going on
4: yeah no uh, so, so actually there was a new player in the market that came in uh, mckinsey they're like an you know international global consulting firm and so so i got a press release and you know i was, I was just going to do a story announcing their service right like saying oh they're now they're doing permian basin satellite satellite service you know um you know kind of monitoring operations in, in the shell play but then but then i started to look at it a little bit deeper i go well, well who else is doing this i go well this is neat you know, I was looking at the pictures and the images, and I go, "Who's neat? who else is out there? You know, and I learned that there are several companies uh, involved in this. It's a, you've got a, a company in San Francisco, Planet. They've got like 150 satellites in orbit, and they've been doing this for at least a couple of years. And then, you know, I learned about the Westwood Energy Group, and then a company here in uh, Houston called Source Water. They're also doing it. They started just monitoring like, you know, like, produced water, fresh water, frac pits. But then they they really upped their game with the satellite technology. And then of course, while driving to the Border Energy Forum in San Antonio, I listened to uh, I believe it was episode 114 of the Tech Oil and Gas podcast. Heard about a company called Kuros. Also doing this and they they did something interesting. They did they they they, they use the satellite technology to estimate the number of ducks that are out there. And that's, that's really important information to know, especially for service companies, because that's, that's future work. So they definitely yeah. want to, you know, want to keep an eye on that.
0: I, I am curious, real, real quick, Josh, I know you got something, but real quick, let me ask this. Um, on the duck thing, you know, I, I've made my point on the show pretty clear on the ducks, but I'm curious because... You know, with your interactions with people, what has been the, the, the feedback you guys have gotten about the duck story um, or have you got any feedback about that? We, we kind of had a mixed message on what they were saying, although it's funny. I've heard I've read several reports sent in that since that kind of indicate maybe they were closer than people have been giving them credit to. What has kind of been your vibe or have you got any feedback from that portion of your article?
4: Right. No, I mean, that's super interesting. It's like all these service companies are counting on these drilled but uncompleted wells out there. It's like future work that could be just, you know, quickly put into play and and everything. And um, so, you know, the EIA has their figures and they put like Permian Basin, what is it, like 4,000, between 4 and 5,000, something like that. And um And so, I mean, that's a lot of wells. But then, but the problem is with the EIA, they get their their figures and you know drilling permits and and f- that frac focused database, which is just months and months behind, you know. And then, so satellite imaging shows that, that that may not be the case. These things might have actually been completed, you know. I mean, so so that then that I mean that would show that there's actually less work out there than than most people thought. So, I don't know. I mean, so I I, I, I would want to see like a, you know, more comprehensive. If all the satellite companies come with the same numbers, like, you know, I think they they might be actually being onto something there. So that's something definitely to, to pay attention to. Because, I mean, the, the, the data pay, gathering
0: you go kind of one by one. is a little
4: bit flawed or a little bit out of date. So
0: yeah. tell the Chronicle to go pay you to have you pay you, for you to go kind of one by one so we know.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go back road by back road. Yeah. That's. That sounds great. But, you know, I will, t- I will tell you one thing that, that wasn't in the story that uh, it's worth noting that all these they're able to do this because all these oil and gas operations are outdoors. So and their satellites, they have no choice. You know, there's there's no way to protect your site from this, this type of surveillance. Unless, Ryan, you want to go into like the uh, <clears throat> the tent building business, like build a tarp to cover up these sites, to protect them from uh, from satellite surveillance, or drone surveillance, or airplane surveillance.
0: My, it's funny you mentioned tents, Josh. Uh, our, you know, with between four kids at my house and five kids at yours, my wife has always um, compared to our house like a three-ring circus, so we could get into the tent business. <laughs>
4: hmm. I, th- I think you would need a lead tent, though, because, uh, you know, although, you know, like a, a canvas or cloth tent could block an optical satellite, you would need something a little more sophisticated to block the infrared, the thermals, everything else. Yeah, can, no doubt. And see, you know. Uh, out you know different spectrum different parts of the spectrum
1: yeah, that brings us back to the eminent domain and air rights and all that stuff which <laughs> is uh this is interesting but uh, sergio you had a, another article about um baker hughes becoming independent a, a ge stock sale paves the way for baker hughes independence so uh, tell us more about that
4: right oh, and i was just on the phone with the company getting you all a fresh update since the story was written um so i mean as you all know uh baker hughes and uh, ge oil and gas merged back in uh, well, was it july 2017 so it's been two years and two years later the uh ge is divesting its stake now ge went from two-thirds ownership down to about 50 50.4 ownership in november and now you know just like a, a couple weeks ago they announced they're going to reduce their ownership stake even further so i was just a purely you know financial transaction um you know like everyone knew something like this was coming but they didn't know at what scale like they were just going to divest it all at once do it in stages and it looks like it's going to be in stages because this current sale and these are fresh figures um they're doing 130 roughly about 132 million shares right now of common stock and then they're doing about let's see here 11.8 million dollars of class b stock sale let's bet that'll get That'll get GE three point one billion dollars fundraise, and that takes that takes GE down to. Let's hear the figures. Thirty six point eight percent ownership of GE. So that that does trigger some big changes. Uh, what they tell me is that Baker Hughes is going to have to change their name again, change their stocks uh, stock tim ticker symbol again. Right now it's B H G E, and right now the name is Baker Hughes, comma a GE company. So. <clears throat> You know, that, that brings possibility, what's gonna happen next? Like are they gonna take out the comma A company and just remain Baker Hughes like they were before? You know, does their how does their stock ticker symbol change? And and more importantly, like this also means that there's been some changes on the board of directors. When GE was a majority owner, they gotta appoint five five people on, on the board of directors. And now at this thirty six point eight percent they only get one mm. to one and the second, their ownership dips below twenty percent. They get zero. Uh,
0: they get the same amount as me and Josh do. <laughs> right,
4: <at that> <laughs> right. Nineteen <laughs> percent ownership, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. We're just just a smidge below that. So, what went wrong here, Sergio? I mean, what's the? This was a story I remember. You know, it's like okay, here we go, and you know, and we're seeing. You know, news in the in the old patch right now, where some companies are coming together, and here you're seeing one kind of break apart. Is this is uh, um, leadership styles, business interest? Um, wh- what do you think, or have they said publicly what what's the reason for the breakup?
4: Well, they haven't said publicly, but it's pretty clear what, what's going on. The situation with the parent company, General Electric, we're talking billions and billions of dollars of of quarterly losses and annual losses. So this is just a pure. You know, I mean, they, they, they've, they've kind of always kind of viewed Baker Hughes as a, like, non-core asset for company. So, this is just a, you know, pure cash, you know, fundraising effort initiative by General Electric.
0: So, no no rumblings of different, of uh, internal squabbling. It was just simply need money and... Not to that I money. know of. No, no, no. no like it, you know, I mean, so, what,
4: from what I hear, it's just a pure financial move. For General Electric to make money to help stop the bleeding on their massive losses, and, and you know help them on their leave, end,
0: where will this leave Baker Hughes? Will they be susceptible to be picked up by someone else, or do you think that they're going to kind of sit out there and be independent for a while?
4: I, I'm really glad you asked that, you know, because a lot of people speculate that that uh, that the company could be, you know, ripe for you know an acquisition or or something like that, especially from like. I, You know, listening to other podcasts, forgive me, Ryan, but on Mark LaCour's uh, podcast, uh, he was talking about um, how like, you know, like he's 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 kind of waiting. His hypothesis is that like some of these service companies are ripe for takeovers or buyouts from like, you know, companies in in Silicon Valley, because what's the new oil? I mean, you've talked about it before, too. It's data. And what does Baker Hughes have buckets of data? So, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens. But, you know, in the meantime, based on the transactions happening right now, Baker Hughes is setting itself up as an independent company. For itself, but 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 you know, just pay attention, keep keep an eye out out there. But there, there are certain mm-hmm. SEC filings. Yeah, I
0: was about to ask you. There's kind of regulations on when that could go down. It, I think it's, it's, when you go IPO, it's like six months, right, before you could really do anything. I think six months is for some reason. I'm thinking is it, is it the same type of deal here where it's going to be like a six month lockdown window or three month lockdown window where they really can't do much
4: yeah yeah they'll definitely be a a filing for their new stock ticker symbol and for their new company and everything but but like the the, you have to watch out for these things called form 13s and uh, those are the ownership ones the second an ownership goes more than five percent it triggers a filing so and then you know uh, yours truly gets a notice automatically magically uh, and uh,
0: because you own like 16% of the company or something so they're, let, they're letting the other big big stockholders know this is what's going on
4: and well anyone can sign up for these notifications but yeah but yeah it's nice to get like and it'll be interesting to see if like any company from Silicon Valley or funds funds or uh, investment firms with ties to that you know investment greater than five percent so we'll see but in the meantime like again purely financial transaction they're setting themselves up to be an independent company again whatever happens beyond that that's just all
0: now you mentioned big tech companies getting involved here josh i don't know if we've talked about tesla on the show ever if not it's been a while um, I can't think of us talking about Tesla on the show But Sergio is bringing Tesla To the oil and gas industry um, Via Shell in Houston um, You need to I hope the Teslas have good AC because it is hot down there In Houston So I hope they, <laughs> I've never been in a Tesla I hope the AC works well uh, What's going on with Shell and Tesla in, in the, uh, On the Houston campus
4: Well Ryan you, you should go uh, You should try one out They've got vegan leather seats I wrote in one of these as part of this story
0: must be nice on huh, Josh. What is it? Hold on. What is a vegan leather seat?
4: It's it, I guess is that call l- it leather or something, I guess. Is it like leather.
0: a, like, leather. you know, like a, a synthetic. kelp or something? Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's got all the bells and whistles. It was really, it was really impressive and it's silent. You don't even know the engines on. Um, but, um,
0: but see that's see that's the thing josh help me out here now josh and i are what you call rednecks and part of having a vehicle is it's loud like that's and i got the f-250 when i crank it up it's not as loud as my old one but it's got that little you know and that's it's. it's i mean josh that's part of having a truck is it's got to have some kind some kind of noise right like i wouldn't want a truck and it's silent and like when you get up on it and you're getting on the interstate, you got to have that rumble of the engine
1: <laughs> you gotta know your car's crunk you'll turn it off at a red light back <laughs> or something I mean I would be
0: depressed if I, if I hit it to the floor and I didn't even hear it rev up or strain or anything I, I need that Sergio um,
4: especially if you fill up with that no ethanol gas
0: and- hey no ethanol see you're tapping into redneck culture here pretty well um but it would make sense, though, for something like this, in-city Teslas seem to be where they're made for is big, large metropolitan areas where you're not driving, you know, where our, a lot of our listeners are out in the Permian, where they may be driving a couple hundred miles a day because they're going from site to site to site. Inside the city, you could go, you know, five miles, 10 miles, 20 miles, you know, whatever it is, 40 miles um, on single charge would be pretty good. So I'm, I'm assuming the response has been well. And as you mentioned, getting tech to partner with um, oil and gas is good for our industry because we need the, the technology that they're going to bring here. So this seems like it could be a good partnership.
4: No, definitely. And, you know, how, how this all started is that, you know, Shell, they've got this, uh, you know, initiative for, you know, lower carbon emissions, you know, the energy transition, the future. So what they do is they sponsor an annual contest for college students for technology, like who can develop the, the cleanest technology. And so what what who won the competition this year was a company called Electric. And they're like kind of like an Uber, but with Teslas. Think of them like that. Right um but but they're not like an uber like anybody can call them you've got to be on contract with them you've got to have like a, as a company have a contract and they'll you have to make arrangements like i'm going to a meeting from houston to austin
0: oh i have yeah i've seen the yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think i saw um they were advertising something from dallas to austin and i'm kind of in Granbury, so i wasn't sure if they could work it out or not but i thought about taking one one time just to just to kind of get that you know
4: to enjoy the vegan leather seats. These were the <laughs> vegan
0: leather seats. I didn't know that vegan leather seats or I would have booked it. I would have booked it a long time ago.
1: Um,
4: right. So, so shell, you know, because they sponsored the contest and this, and this, uh, this startup won the contest. They, they did a contract for about 400 rides just to see how things going. But, but, you know, the employees at the, at the uh, Woodside campus here in Houston are just loving it. You know, they pick, get picked up in the morning in an emissions free vehicle and they get driven to their meeting in Austin, San Antonio or Dallas. And then while they're in the meeting, the car gets recharged and they get picked up, get driven back and there's Wi Fi and snacks and
0: You know, vegan leather,
4: leather. water, vegan leather, all types of amenities. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to just, you know, obsess on that.
0: But but, I'm not upset. I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know vegan leather existed. It would seem to not be leather by definition. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't really care. But I mean, it's been a wildly
4: popular story. It just captured a lot of people's imaginations. An oil company, you know, using electric vehicle and electric vehicle service and you know but you know it makes a it makes a lot of sense for a company like shell and yeah. the oil majors like uh, total shell um <clears throat> you know and, and chevron they've all made and we're talking like billion dollar investments into electrical vehicle research charging you know yeah. everything like that putting ev charging stations at their gas stations right. you know around the world so yeah. I mean, it's a it's transitions taking place and you're seeing the first Baby step, maybe of it here in Houston. So right, exciting times we're living in, my friend.
0: Yeah, well, you know, on the you know, I think the electrical car stuff. I think it has a place in large cities like you are. I live just south of a large city. Probably, if you're staying in Granby or something like that, I think it's got a place. It doesn't seem like the battery technology is there for everyone in the United States right now, but it could be at some point. So I think it's a deal where. I think we made our position pretty clear. We're, we're for whatever works and, you know, it makes sense. So if Shell wants to get vegan leather, then, <laughs> then good for them. <laughs> so you want your Tesla with real leather, I take I, it. I, you <laughs> know, right now I don't have leather in my truck. I don't have that Sergio Trappa Houston Chronicle money. So I don't have that. Uh, I don't have that. So, you know, it's tough. Sergio... In all seriousness, we do give you a hard time. But since you are on the show, you are the best reporter in the industry, and we do appreciate you coming on. Your your stuff is we we mock people on here for not doing good jobs. We have never mocked you because you always do an accurate report, and we do appreciate that. We, we say that in all sincerity. Um, we were just covering a story earlier today where they they kind of it's, – it's frustrating because they, they skew the information, and I can tell the listeners offline you've told me about your journalistic integrity, and we really appreciate that. So we give you a hard time. We will continue to give you a hard time. We'll probably give you a harder time because we gave you an attaboy, but we did want to say while you're on the show, we really do appreciate the work that you do because you do set the standard, in my opinion, for oil and gas reporting or energy reporting in general. So thank you for that.
4: Well, thank you. Thank you. And I, I love listening to the podcast. I've, I've learned to, to now listen every Monday. <laughs> um, uh, or tuesday <laughs> you know, I, I keep refreshing the screen why where's where's the new episode
0: well that's that's nate you know how it goes you know how it is working with people that are you know it's in you know, whatever so sergio where can people find you at between now and your next appearance in 2020
4: <laughs> right <laughs> uh well as always uh i live on twitter at sergio chapo on twitter uh linkedin definitely uh very active there instagram ryan as you well know i'm also very active there that's it
0: and you could find him at culture eating delicious shrimp and grits from time to time in houston
4: (laughs) enjoying (laughs) that houston food scene can (laughs) i say
0: awesome sergio again thank you so much for coming on it's always great to have you on and uh, keep up the good work friend all
1: right all right
2: take it easy all right
1: thanks all right thanks again to Sergio chopp with the Houston Chronicle for coming on our show it's been a while since we had him on so uh, it's good good having him come on and give us uh, share some of his insights and uh, give us some of the credit for that Kairos uh...
0: yeah basically it gave him the idea it's the Sergio stuff is basically our show regurgitated you know but it's it is what it is he does do a good job of reporting the facts though Josh I will say that some of the stuff that we say about other articles You just don't find in Sergio's articles. That's why we love having him on and we love talking about his stuff. And uh, he's a good guy. If you can never get a chance to meet him, I recommend. I always enjoy hanging out with him. So, Josh, it's been a busy show. Let's recap. Um, Nate made some comment about (laughs) Amnesty and Asylum and got us a one star review. So, we could use some five stars to. To boost up that one kickdown we got for standing up, standing up for our industry, which you know we we kind of felt passionately about. Send the hate mail about the immigration reform policies to Nate Hansen at goor2.com. Let him hear all of your thoughts on whether we should or shouldn't build a wall, two walls, three walls, no walls, whatever. That's all to Nate. That has nothing to do
1: with this show. Um, and anything else, Josh? I think that's it. Yeah. Oh, um, did I? I don't know that I. Um... Gave a. I don't know if I said thanks to Mike Michelson with uh, Patterson UTI for coming on. Yeah, thanks so. to Mike for coming on. So
0: coming on, uh, yeah. I know we kind of briefly talked about that between here and Sergio. So uh, thanks, Mike, for coming on and Sergio. With that being said, we'll be back next week, huh, Josh? Yeah,
1: be back yeah, next week. I think so. we'll both be at the uh, at the studio this time. Well, let's not presume that Nate's Nate. going to be here. Yeah, yeah.
0: Assuming Nate does a job, we'll both be here this time at the new studio. So. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Text1GuestPodcast.com. Josh's profile and my LinkedIn profile will be linked to the show notes. Um, anything else you need, you can find there or on the website. And until next time, keep popping.